You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Hello, Redeemer. I'm Lawson. I'm the student and family minister here uh, at the church. Pastor Jeff, as you know, is on sabbatical uh, this summer, and so it's an honor to be with you. It's always an honor to preach and to open God's word. Um, Love you guys so much. It's just... It's wonderful. Uh, this church is awesome. Um, at, at, uh, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting emotional here. Uh, at, at Redeemer, our mission is to make disciples and make much of Jesus. Uh, this is what we, uh, this is our, our mission, our, our, you know, what's the tagline for the church? If you haven't seen it, you probably haven't been paying attention. Uh, and, and this word disciple, to make disciples, uh, we get it from Matthew 28, the, the end of the, um, of the Gospel of Matthew, the Great Commission, when Jesus says before he ascends, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And so there's that word, disciple, make disciples. This word, uh, it means learner or apprentice, uh, is what it means. Obviously, the, the original 12 disciples would have they were his, Jesus' literal apprentices. They followed him around. They learned how to live life as he would live it. Like they saw him interact with people and talk with people and uh, you know, how, to, how he lived his life. That's how, how they learned to live. And we, also, we, we often struggle, I think, to answer the question, um, are you a disciple? Are, are you an apprentice of Jesus, right? If I ask you that, what would you say? If we sat down to coffee, are you an apprentice of Jesus? What would you say? Uh, yeah, you no. Know, um, we struggle with it sometimes. And I think Dallas Willard frames this really helpfully uh, when he says, if, if I asked you if you were a different kind of apprentice, you wouldn't struggle with that, right? If I said, are you an electrician's app- apprentice? That's not a hard question, right? You'd say yes or no, right? If you're a plumber's apprentice and I say, are you a, are you a plumber's apprentice? You'd say yes, right? No question. Now, if I ask you if you're a good plumber's apprentice, that would be a different question, right? Whatever kind of apprentice you are. But that's not the question. It's are you, are you an apprentice? Are you an apprentice of Jesus? Are you walking with him, learning how to live your life from him? I, I think the reason why we struggle to answer that question, why we struggle with that, is because uh, I think for the best theological reasons, we've created a false separation, a separation that's not biblical between faith and obedience, right? So we, we can conceive of someone who's a, a convert to Christianity, but not living their life for Jesus, like a Christian, but not a disciple, you might say. Uh, so we can conceive of that, but, but biblically that's, that's not an idea, right? There's, there's, that doesn't exist in the scriptures. Um, you can see it in the Great Commission. The disciples are those who've, been, who've trusted Jesus, are baptized into the triune name, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and who are living their lives, who are learning to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Or, or as Jesus said in another place, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, right? Or as he said, you'll know a tree by its fruit, Right? You can't separate faith and obedience. And so, if we are his apprentices, if, we're, if we belong to Jesus, if we follow him, uh, the next question is, how do we learn to obey him? How do we learn to obey Jesus? How, how are we transformed by the renewing of our minds? How do we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we put to death the deeds of the body and put on Christ-likeness and his character? How do we grow as Christians? Uh, and, and that's what we're talking about uh, this morning. We're talking about spiritual discipline. And the, the best analogy I've heard on views of spiritual growth, I actually most recently talked about it with my dad. I don't know where it's from originally. I, I don't think he made it up. Uh, but it's, it's of a boat. 
the different views on spiritual growth. So some people see, see Christian growth as a rowboat, right? You do all the work, you muscle it out. Um, other people see Christian growth as a boat on a river, right? You don't do anything, you just hang on for dear life and trust God, right? And it takes you. Still other people, and I think this is the, the, uh, where we're gonna land this morning, see Christian growth as a sailboat. Sailboat. I've never been sailing personally, but I've heard that it's not easy. It's not something you can just go do on a whim, right? You have to learn it. You have to know how to raise the right sails and how to tie the ropes in the right places and how to position the sail and the boat correctly. And yet, if you learn all that stuff and you do all that stuff, but the wind doesn't blow, you don't go anywhere, right? Okay, so, so this is in the same way. Uh, we have responsibilities in the Christian life. We, we have responsibilities, things we must do, like raising the sails, right? Things we must do in our Christian life uh, to catch the wind of God's grace and God's spirit to grow. And of course, these things, they don't have the power to mature us. They, they can't mature us in themselves. Um, but, you know, this is not the rowboat. It's not just try really hard, muscle it out. Um, God alone can send the wind. We have no control over that. But if our sails aren't up, we're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to go anywhere. So this raising of the sails, that's what we're talking about today, spiritual discipline. And spiritual discipline, it's, it's our part in the sanctification process and God making us more and more like Jesus. So we're going to ask three simple questions this morning to kind of organize our time. What is spiritual discipline? How does it work? Where do we start? What is spiritual discipline? How does it work? Where do we start? First, what is spiritual discipline? Spiritual discipline is sustained, strenuous, focused effort to grow spiritually. Okay? Notice I'm not saying spiritual disciplines. I'm saying spiritual discipline, right? There's a, there's a lot of spiritual disciplines, right? Fasting, uh, you know, simplicity, prayer, right? All, all, these, all these specific disciplines, and we'll talk about some of those at the end. Um, but I'm talking about in general spiritual discipline. So this effort, this um, sustained, strenuous, focused effort to grow spiritually. And we find this taught many times in the New Testament. Uh, many times. We're going to be all over the place in the Bible this morning. So you feel free to flip along. I'll also have them on the screen. If you like PowerPoint, you're going to love this message. You're like, finally, more PowerPoint. Uh, but there, there are more slides. But uh, so, so first, uh, we'll look at Paul talking to his son Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Uh, he says this, have nothing to do with pointless, silly myths. Rather, Train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You probably know that word train there is the same from the same root word that we get gymnasium from, gym, gymnase, right? That uh, this is the, a Greek word from the Olympic realm, right? Of training, of ex, I think the KJV says, exercise yourself unto godliness. Uh, discipline yourself to godliness. This is what it, this, this word um, is, is, uh, is you know, usually refers to physical training, but Paul takes it and goes, man, train yourself in this way for godliness, okay? Uh, Paul also in Philippians to the Philippian church, Philippians 2, therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So you see it there again, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, spiritual discipline. 
Uh, next, we'll go to Peter, 2 Peter 1. This is the longest one, but it's, it's all about this. I think it's so good. Uh, starting verse three, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruptions in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort There it is. Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, here it is again, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. So I could have preached from any of these you know, by themselves for this message on spiritual discipline, but, but I think in stacking them up, it's easy to see that there's something we're called to in the Christian life, right? We're, we're, called to some, we're called to effort. We're called to discipline, okay? Train yourself in godliness. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with right now, all these things. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. We're, we're called to something. We're called to do something. We often don't think about the Christian life in this way. Right? We, we, I think we, sh- we struggle to think about it in this way. Jerry Bridges has a really helpful uh, illustration here. He says that most of us live a Christian life on cruise control, right? Cruise control is great. It's a great feature on a car, right? It allows you to relax while you're driving. You don't have to you know, constantly have your foot on the accelerator. Um, but he says in our Christian life, we sometimes do this. We'll, we'll, try, we'll get up to a certain speed. You know, we, don't, we learn a certain amount about the Bible, like put to death certain sins, don't struggle with these things anymore. We'll, we'll have a, you know, experience a certain amount of Christian growth. But then we, we you know, in short, like we want to fit in with our Christian friends. We don't want to be embarrassed. Uh, so we get to a certain level and then we just, we want to hit the cruise control. Just relax and kind of cruise on in to glory. But, but this, I don't think is the teaching of these verses. It doesn't sound like what we're called to Um, in Scripture. I think the command of these verses is is more to a race car Christianity. NASCAR drivers do not rely on cruise control, right? They they don't. They don't even have cruise control, I'm sure. But they're pushing their their cars and their bodies and their minds to the limit to cross the finish line, right? uh, They're not relaxed, right? They're engaged and they're driving uh, and and they're pushing to be first. And so what, what type of Christian life are you living? Cruise control or race car? Paul uses the analogy of a race himself. You know, there weren't cars, but again, of the Olympic, uh, from the Olympic realm in 1 Corinthians 9. If you've, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't go forward to that part. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do this to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. I am not on cruise control. I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Okay, run in such a way as to win the prize. Spiritual discipline, 
right? God wants us to live race car lives, to win the prize, to discipline ourselves, to grow in godliness, all right? How does it work? Second question, how does it work? Um, sometimes my wife Caroline will go on a, on a run or do a workout and she'll, uh, she'll come to me and she'll say, how do I look? Do I look skinnier? And of course, she always does, right? But for most of us, it doesn't work that way, right? For most of us, it doesn't work that way. Um, we, we know this, growth is gradual. Growth is gradual. Um, I'm a fool if I go to the gym every day for a week and then I quit because I'm not seeing any results, right? In the same way, I'm a fool if I read my Bible or pray every day and then I quit because I'm just not getting anything out of it. Right? Spiritual growth is gradual. Uh, this is why God uses agricultural analogies. We, we produce fruit, right? Fruit of the Spirit. Um, you know, that's one of the main things about fruit is it just doesn't grow overnight. It takes time. It's, it's a process uh, of growth. You can't, you know, just look at, is this apple tree bearing fruit? I can't tell, right? Well, of course you can't tell. You just looked at it for a second. You have to look back over time, over, over months, over years, and see uh, to see if the, the tree is producing fruit. And just like that, the, the fruit of the Spirit takes time in our lives. It takes time to, to, to bear, right, to come. But at the same time, we should be producing fruit, right? You should be able to look over the past months, past years of your life, and go, I'm growing in godliness. You should be able to see that. You should be able to talk with someone who knows you well and go, yeah, I can see these areas, how you're growing in godliness. So spiritual discipline, it works first gradually. Uh, next, a spiritual, spiritual discipline, spiritual training, like all training, it's, it works indirectly. It works indirectly. So uh, here's what I mean. This is from Andy Crouch. Disciplines are very much like what weightlifters call progressive overload. The best way to gain strength is by pushing your muscles to the very edge of their current capacity for a relatively brief time. No one can spend 12 hours a day bench pressing hundreds of pounds, and no one should want to. But spend an hour a day or a few days a week, a few days a week in that kind of focused, strenuous exertion, and you will see gains in strength that come no other way. Strength that, that will then be available to you for everything else you do. The point of working out is not to be, just to be able to co complete more reps with higher weight a few times a week. It's to develop and train our bodies to be healthier all the time. This is how the spiritual disciplines work as well. The central disciplines of the spiritual life as taught by generations of Christian saints have stayed the same for 20 centuries now. Solitude, silence, and fasting. Each of them pushes us beyond our natural limits and all of them give us spiritual resources for everyday life that we can't get any other way. We'll talk about specific disciplines again at the end of the message, but what he's, say, what he's saying is it's indirect, right? You're, you're training so that you're healthier in other, you're doing certain practices um, that give you, uh, give you resources, spiritual resources that you wouldn't have otherwise, right? So the point is, you know, how do you grow in being patient with your kids? Uh, you know, like you can't just try because it's like a situation happens and it just comes out. Like I didn't even have to think about it. It just happened. Um, how, do I, how do you grow in, in uh, controlling the anxiety when it builds up in your heart? You, you can't just try, like, just, yeah, just try. You're like, I'm not gonna be anxious, right? That works, right? No, it doesn't, like, how do you, it just happens. So how do you, how do you put those sensitive? How do you grow in those areas? By discipline, by training, right? You do, you do the practices and, and you encounter God and you spend time with God in the ways that he lays out. And he shapes you into a patient person, into a less anxious person, into a person who, who exhibits the fruit of the spirit um, instead of exhibiting the, the works of the flesh in those moments. Um, 
the really encouraging thing to say, uh, I think with this, is, is that you can grow. Ah, it's so encouraging to me. And maybe it's encouraging for you to hear that. You can grow. You can put sin to death. Right? You can produce spiritual fruit by the Spirit. Um, you can grow. If, if you, you have the Holy Spirit inside you, <laughs> right? you, can, you can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You can learn to obey and grow in holiness. And the Bible lays out the ways to do it. And some people object at this point. Um, well, you know, we'll always have sin. We'll always have sin. You can never be perfect on this earth. Right? And that's true. And that's important to say. Right, we, 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 our hope is in heaven, right? We, uh, our hope is in heaven. We await a savior, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. And, and that's why our hope is, there, is with him, right? He's gonna make us perfect one day. And so we won't experience perfection on this earth. But uh, imagine that you wanna learn to play guitar and someone says to you, you'll never learn to play perfectly. You might as well not even try. Well, you'd say, well, that, that's silly. <laughs> like, oh, oh, I know I won't be able to play perfectly, but I can still learn. I can still enjoy it. I can, I can still get better and better the more I practice, right? Um, and I think in the same way, of, of course we can't be sinless in this life, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. It doesn't mean we, should, we, we shouldn't, by God's grace, learn to obey Jesus more and more. We can grow substantially more and more like Jesus by the Holy Spirit's power from one degree of glory to the next. But do we intend to? Do we intend to do this? I think this is the rub for many of us. Um, Dallas Willard says this, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. So commit, see that word commit? Intend, like do you intend to obey Jesus? This has been eye-opening for me recently. I think many times we, we know the truth and we think that's enough. We think Christianity is about uh, believing the truth, right? Assenting to the right facts. Here's the facts about God. Here's the facts about what he's done. Here's the facts about how you get saved. I I believe all that stuff, right? And we think that's it. And it's certainly not less than that, right? The truth is so important. We have to know the truth. Um, But it's much, much more than that. It has to be, right? The demons believe, James says, and shudder. Like they believe better than we do. So what's the difference between us and the demons? Well, the demons don't intend to obey the truth, right? They actually intend to disobey it. Do you intend to obey God? When you read a verse like Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourself. Do you simply agree that that's a good policy? Right, I, I believe that. Right? Or do you plan to obey it? Do you plan to go to, to deny your pride and to start treating your children and your spouse and your coworkers as more important than you? Do you, do you plan to go, okay, how do I work out and not out of selfish ambition or conceit? How do I do my business not out of selfish ambition or conceit? How do I play golf not out of selfish ambition? or like Whatever you do, do you plan to obey Jesus? It seems the most obvious thing in the world, um, but without intending to do something, you won't ever do it if it's something of any duration or difficulty, which following Jesus is. We need to intend to obey Jesus. He should direct our lives, right? We, we have signed on as full-time apprentices to the King of Kings. And it only works if we intend it, if we intend to do it. Now, at this point, some of us are saying, 
And some of you may be saying, but Lawson, what about grace? Isn't this church about grace? Like, yes, it is. Praise God. Like, we love God's grace. Um, you might say, uh, you, know, it, you know, we're saved by grace, not by works, by what Jesus did, not by anything we do. We can't do anything to earn God's love or salvation. Jesus did all that for, the, on this, for, you know, for us on the cross, didn't he? Didn't he rise from the dead never to die again to prove that we could, be brought, we could be brought back to God, we could be forgiven, we could be made new, adopted into his family? And yes, that's totally true and glorious, right? And thank you for reminding me of that because I needed to this morning. But this, this grace that saves us is not this unmerited kindness of God, right? The grace is just unmerited, like we didn't deserve it and God was just, just gave us something we didn't, we didn't even deserve. Uh, it's not opposed to effort, right? Dallas Willard again, he says, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Okay, effort is, is action, earning is a motive. So if you think you can earn God's love by disciplining yourself, forget it. <laughs> right, that's, that's impossible and a wrong motive. Um, if you think you can grow, you can mature in Christ by your raw willpower, right, the rowboat, forget it. Impossible, can't. I think we really need to understand this point. Think about, um, think about Psalm 127 with me. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. Okay, well, I think we see the point immediately to this, right? Uh, if the Lord doesn't want a house built, then no effort on the builder's part can make it happen. And all the builders in Houston with the rain recently say, amen, right? <laughs> Nothing, uh, right? If, if, if the Lord wants a city overthrown, then it doesn't matter how alert the watchman is, right? And similarly, if the Lord doesn't want you to grow, nothing you can do, right? No amount of effort on your own part, um, no amount of effort in the flesh will ever mature you, will ever sanctify you. You will make no progress. It will be like raising a sail on a windless day. But the other side of that coin is also true. If you think about the same verse, if the Lord builds a house, like houses get built, right? How do they typically get built? How does he do it? Through the builders, right? Through the labor of the builders, right? If the Lord watches over a city, how does it get, how does it stay safe? By the alert watchman. Okay, and, and similarly, I think we can apply it. If the Lord sanctifies you, he does it through your effort and spiritual discipline. You see that God works through the builder's labor. God works through the watchman's diligence. God works through the Christian's discipline and obedience. Right? I don't think the point of this verse is to go to the builders in your neighborhood and say, hey, unless the Lord builds a house, the builders build in vain. You might as well stop trying, man. No, right? That's just not the point of this, right? The point is to depend on God and work, right? And isn't this just what, what uh, Paul says in, earlier in Philippians 2? Work out your own salvation. You do it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? God works through our work. This is, right? And, and now, how does, explain that, how that works. I don't, like, there's a lot of things in the Bible we don't understand. We can't explain the minutia, but it's true, isn't it? Isn't that what it says? We, he works through our effort. Um, and, and so what this means uh, is if our discipline works, if we grow in Christ, if we grow in godliness, then that's a gift of God. That's grace. 
That's, that's unmerited favor, stuff we, something we did not deserve. We don't deserve to grow. We don't deserve to be made more like Jesus, but he pours out his grace and he grows us through our discipline. It's his undeserved kindness. And do you see what that means? That means, you know, if, if our justification, like us being made right with God, being saved initially, if that's all of grace, by a kindness of God, um, and, and, and sanctification, growing in Christ, that's all of grace, it's all the kindness of God, then it's all grace <laughs> from the beginning to the end, right? We have a good father and he loves us. He poured out his grace on us, right? Before the world began, he loved us. And then he continued to pour out his grace on us by sending his son to die and to rise from the dead for us. He continues to pour out his love for us by drawing us to himself and showing, being so kind and providing for us and saving us here, right? And then he continues to pour out his grace on us by growing us and making us more like Jesus in our lives. And then what does Ephesians 2 say? He's, we're seated in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages, he could show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, right? It's all grace. It's all his gift. He's just kind and amazing all the way through, right? What a, what a king we have. What a savior we have. He's amazing. And it's when we see that kindness, that his grace, that we don't deserve, that we will love him and we'll want to follow him. And in the end, love for God because of his grace is the only good motive to discipline ourselves. People discipline themselves for wrong motives all the time, right? Fear, trying to measure up to other Christians, worry about your reputation, not wanting to feel, not wanting to feel guilty over sin, right? Yeah, I want to get done with this. I don't have to feel this feeling anymore. Trying to earn God's blessing or to manipulate him in some way, like I'm going to do these things right so that nothing bad happens in my life, right? All those things, are, are bad motivations and, and they never, they don't sustain. You can't, hold, you can't keep those going for long and they all lead to pride or to despair. Only God's grace in Christ transforms our hearts so that we love God and we actually want to follow him. We actually want to discipline ourselves. We actually want to grow in these things. There's a great poem, that, a small poem that gets, gets to the heart of, of motivation. Um, it, sometimes it's attributed to John Bunyan, but no one really knows. It says, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. So where do we start? Where do we start? We have not in scripture and in church history uh, many worthy examples, and long, there's long lists, you know, different people have different lists of spiritual disciplines. Uh, there's lots of wonderful books on spiritual disciplines I'd love to recommend to you. Um, but, but I'm going to highlight four disciplines that I think are, are especially, um, I think have been overlooked, perhaps, you know, in our time and place, but are also especially important in our time and place. So these are, are four, there's tons of disciplines, and, and these are all kind of personal disciplines. There's also communal disciplines, um, worship, uh, you know, giving, serving, like there's all kinds of things that are really important. Um, so this is not a comprehensive list at all, but just four. Uh, that I think are, are especially worth our, our attention. Um, and this gets really practical. I know sermons sometimes don't get practical, so I'm sorry if, uh, if uh, this steps on our toes a little bit. But four, four practices uh, that, uh, that, that I think are worth our, our attention. The first is Bible memorization. Bible memorization. Uh, you, you know, Psalm 119, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Like, let it live in you. Uh, John 15, if my, words, if, if my words remain in you, 
right? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you, right? If you it remain, you live, if, if my words live inside you. If we intend to follow Jesus, we need to know what he says, right? That's basic. We need to know his word. Uh, but more than that, we need to, to meditate on his word. We need to simmer in it. We need, to, we need his word to become part of us. And there's no better way to do this than memorization, than Bible memorization. Um, and side note, this is a great thing to do with your kids, right? Especially parents with young kids. Um, memorize the Bible with your kids. Have them discipline them. Teach them the discipline of Bible memorization. Uh, oftentimes students, you know, I'm a student minister, so oftentimes students are impressed by my Bible recall. Like they'll be like, where's that verse? And I'll know where it is. And they're like, oh, that's so, they're so impressed, right? And I wish I could say it was because of my great discipline and memorizing the Bible as an adult, but it's not. It's because my parents made me memorize the Bible all growing up, right? And I didn't want to always, but but they did. They, they put it inside me. Um, and and I don't know that there's a, a more valuable gift that they've ever given me, right? So help your kids, like memorize, have them memorize the scripture, memorize with them. And you might think, I'm too old. No, you're not. You can do it, right? Come on. Uh, it's, it's, it's focus, right? It's, you have to concentrate. Uh, it's understanding, so comprehending, like don't just wrote, you know, repeat something, but try to understand what you're thinking. And repetition, right? Focus, understanding, repetition. That's all memorization is. You can do it. Bible memorization, Number one. Second is fasting. Fasting. Um, in Matthew 6 and Matthew 9, Jesus assumes we will fast, right? Um, so this is a helpful discipline. I, you know, in, in Matthew 6, just read it. It says, Jesus says, when you give, here's how you give. When you pray, here's how you pray. When you fast, here's how you fast. Right? And no one questions praying or giving, but everyone, I don't know if we should still fast. <laughs> Why? Uh, right? Just, just read that. In Matthew 9, he says, when the bridegroom's taken away, then they will fast. So Jesus assumes when I'm, when I'm gone, when I'm, I've left, you know, uh, when I've ascended to heaven, then they will fast. We see the early church fasted. They practiced fasting in the book of, book of Acts. Um, and fasting has been practiced throughout church history to great effect, um, you know, over and over. And so, uh, and what a, what a practice. I know it's, it's sort of foreign to us. Like we, this is one of those that's sort of fallen off the side, I think. But what a practice in our culture of instant gratification and just gluttony often, right? To, to deny ourselves food, in order to sharpen our affection for God. We need to learn again to be able to, to fast from food, to be able to feast on God. Uh, next is prayer, prayer. Um, Daniel from the Old Testament, uh, Daniel of Daniel in the lion's den, right? Uh, he, he was by, by chapter six in Daniel the lion's den chapter, he was an old man, he was like 80 years old. He was second in command in, the, in the, this kingdom, uh, the kingdom of the time. And it, it says he went to the window, he went to his room and to his window three times a day where he knelt, 80-year-old man on his knees, and prayed. And it says, as was his practice. This, is, this was his practice, this is what he did. Paul says to pray without ceasing, right? Which, which I don't think means we should like always consciously be praying, but I think it just means we should pray regularly. We should always be praying. We should pray, have regular times of prayer. And so do, do you have those? Do you have regular times with uh, with God, the undistracted times of prayer. This is one, we, you know, we talk about prayer a lot, but, but how do we do it, you know? Um, this is convicting to me. Do we have regular times of undistracted prayer with God? We have to learn in, in our lives of, of constant busyness and distraction and productivity, right? And we're Americans, we're productive, you know? Uh, we have to learn that, that nothing can replace time with God in prayer. Nothing can. 
Like, what, and what's more important? Like, make an argument about a more important way to spend your time. I, I don't think there's any good ones. So prayer. Uh, lastly, the last discipline that I think we should pay attention to is solitude and silence. Solitude and silence. This one goes along with prayer, but it's also its, its own historic discipline, spiritual discipline. Uh, you, we see Jesus many times in the gospels get up early and go to a desolate place, it says. And there he pray, like the disciples wake up and they're like, where did Jesus go again? And they have to go find him. Uh, and he, he, why did he do that? Someone with, with that kind of connection, like Jesus had the best connection with God of anyone. He could lay in his bed and commune with God perfectly, right? Why did he go and, why is it important for him to go and be alone? In, in our age of, of the iPhone, I, I think we're, I, I don't know if you've thought about this, we're literally, we can literally never be alone with our thoughts. Like from the minute our alarm beeps on the phone to the minute we fall asleep watching Netflix, we can always, we can constantly be distracted and entertained, never have a thought that's not just something, you know, coming into our heads from some other source. So we, we need to learn um, we have to learn for our own souls and so we can teach our kids, right? Because they're growing up in more technology. Than we. we have to learn how to be faithful in this culture where we are. So, so for our own souls and for our kids, um, to, so we can teach them how to be alone with God and how to be content. How, how do you be alone with God and not have distractions and be content? And I found in, in practicing this and in leading others to practice this, this is harder for us than fasting. This, I, I would, you would think fasting would be harder, but solitude and silence is actually harder, right? Because there's just something in our, we're, we're so distracted. There's something that cries out for, for that, uh, you know, for, for that, uh, to pick up the phone, to check the notifications, right? Um, to be distracted. And so we need to build these rhythms. And, like, just try it. Just try it. It's like this afternoon. Do a three-hour block of solitude and silence. Just you, your Bible, and your journal, no phone. Just try it. I challenge you. So those are four. Those are four disciplines I think are worthy of our, of our, um, our, of our attention, of thinking about, of, of implementing, of trying out, seeing how those work. Um, if, if you aren't a Christian, then I just want to reiterate to you that nothing that we talked about, none of these disciplines saves you or gets you anywhere in relationship with God outside of trusting Jesus. Okay? You've seen a little bit today of the inner workings of the Christian life, how we grow in Christ. And I hope you see we're trying to follow Jesus. We're really bad at it, uh, but he's very kind and gracious with us. Um, that's why we're all still here, <laughs> right? He's very patient. He doesn't kick us out uh, or we would be kicked out. Um, but he wants you to know that the same grace he offers us, he offers you, that he loves you. And he, he loved you enough to die for you on the cross so you could be brought into the family of God because the same grace is available to you if you want it, if you'll have him. I hope you will. Uh, so come talk to me or talk to one of the pastors or whoever brought you. Just like that's the most important conversation that you need to have today. If you are a Christian, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, then I, I hope this has been helpful. Um, I, ho I hope these things are helpful. I pray that by God's grace that you will intend to obey Jesus and you'll do everything you can to raise your sails and catch the wind of his grace. I wanna just read this a blessing over you from 2 Thessalonians 2. Um, as we end, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and work. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. 
To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.